Historically, African American people believe that the construction of a home place, however fragile and tenuous, the slave hut, the wooden shack, had a radical political dimension. Despite the brutal reality of racial apartheid, a domination, one's home place was a site where one could freely confront the issue of humanization, where one could resist. Black women resisted by making homes where all black people could strive to be subjects, not objects, where we could be affirmed in our minds and hearts, despite poverty, hardship, and deprivation, where we could restore to ourselves the dignity denied us on the outside in the public world. Hi there, I'm Amiria Freeman, your lone listen host, and what you just heard was a small piece from the seminal essay, Home Place, A Site of Resistance, by feminist theorist, cultural critic, writer, and artist, Bell Hooks. Right now, our global community is facing many ruptures, from a devastating pandemic to a worldwide racial reckoning. And amid this moment that feels both incomprehensible and filled with opportunity for imagining more and imagining better, Many of us are spending more, if not all, of our time at home, at our home places. Almost overnight, our homes have become the central setting within which so many parts of our lives are happening, including our responses to the world's call to shift from this current state of emergency to a state of emergence. And I wanna talk about it with you. Inspired by Bell Hook's idea of home place, I'll be inviting you into the homes of artists, activists, and more for intimate conversations about how centering home in our creative and political movements shifts the way we understand how change happens, imagination is nurtured, and a political spirit is tended to. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Denise Shante Brown. As a queer disabled entrepreneur, holistic design strategist, writer, and creative healer, Denise brings forth abundant possibilities for well-being through collaborative creativity and community-led practices. She's the founding director of Black Women Flourish, a design for well-being collective that's shaping the future of Black women's health and healing to redefine what it means to be well and conjure creative spaces where Black women can bring more just, pleasurable, and flourishing futures into existence. In 2019, Denise was invited to be a panelist at Harvard's Black and Design Conference, Black Futurism, Creating a More Equitable Future, to share her work on creating spaces for wellness and joy. This year, she began co-organizing on the Design Justice Network Steering Committee, where they use design to imagine and build the worlds we need to live in and are committed to rethinking design processes so they center people who are too often marginalized by design and systems of power. With roots in the Shenandoah Valley, Denise currently lives and works in Baltimore, where she continues to be guided by her life's work mantra. Design can facilitate healing, healing's a creative process, and creativity blooms new futures. You're in for a juicy conversation on how design can help us imagine and create the spaces we want to inhabit, from our homes to our societies. So get comfy, maybe grab a cup of tea, and listen along. Denise, welcome to Long Listen. Thank you so much for offering up your time and offering up this space to be with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, and let's just start off really simple. Um, in your own words, who are you and what do you do? 
ah, uh, who am I? It's just, it was like a big question. <laughs> um, I'm a, I'm a creator. I, I'm a healer. I'm a holistic design strategist. So much of my life is about um, creating experiences for people, specifically Black women, um, experiences where we can see ourselves whole and healthy and well and joyful. Um, and that's at the heart of, of everything that I do. I love that. And I'm just thinking about this moment that we're in. Um, how has your work shifted or just been strengthened? Like, how have you been pivoting and adapting amidst quarantine, amidst this moment? Yeah, it's, I mean, being at home, um, I've been sharing this with my collaborators so much. I, I miss the in-person collaboration, uh, us creating in a physical space, like studio time or just gathering in someone's home when we're checking in and doing those deep check-ins that we like to do with each other before we start trying to get into creation mode. Um, I think it's, it's shifted the way I've had to learn how to, like what, what, does, what does space holding mean in the, in the tech world, uh, in the virtual space and how to hold space without getting uh, too exhausted digitally. Like digital exhaustion is real. Uh, right now. And so I've been just learning more about that, honestly, um, how to balance uh, the time that I meet with my friends, with my, my team, um, how to pull away from that and, and get off, off the screen, you know, <laughs> spending some time off the screen uh, to, to check in with myself um, and make sure that I, I'm, I'm taking care of myself in, in this world of this ecosystem of, of well-being and wellness. Yeah. So let's like dive into more um, about your work with design and well-being. And I'm hoping that we can sort of touch on all the threads you just mentioned about like what does it mean to do this kind of work um, virtually. I mean, I feel like I'm sort of uh, struggling with the same things. Like how do I not only be my best self, but show up for all of my work, all my efforts in a way that's still honoring the root um, and the mission agendas of those things while like navigating the virtual space, which I feel like is so like rife with all these possibilities of like imagining more and doing better. But then also I feel like there's so many of these toxic elements that like you kind of really have to navigate and deal with. Um, but let's like dive in more to your work though. So your life and your work operate in part through the prism of design and I especially love how you bring light to the fact that every part of our lives, including, um, I don't know, just like how we work, how we live, how we play, um, and even like uh, these oppressive systems and structures that we live in, they all have a direct link to some really strategic, intentional um, design decision. And I think just through navigating and waiting in your work, I've really come to this realization that these systems that we live in, like white supremacy, for example, that's a design prototype that's been allowed to evolve and really just get better and better and better. And it's really in need of these other design interventions to really collapse it so that, like you mentioned, we all, black women especially, can live these really full, pleasurable, whole lives. So can you just talk a little bit more about um, how 
design just like influences every part of our lives and how can design help us build the worlds that we wish, wish to live in, whether those worlds are our homes or our societies? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it's reminding me of a conversation that I had with someone, another designer actually, and we were talking about once you see that design is everywhere, facilitating so many things, it's really hard to unsee it after that. And so I've been, I'm first going to try to define design. Um, and, and how I see it um, from my perspective. And I've been defining it as the shared creative process and practice of bringing experiences into existence. And like you were mentioning, like those experiences can be anything and we see the outcomes of design creating something that can harm but also heal our world right now. And so design is this, this practice that can harm us and it can heal us. And I think at the heart of it is that um, decision-making and if it's to build a better world in our homes, in the spaces that we dwell in, I think the question is like, what do we want to bring into existence? I think that's something that we have to ask ourselves. Um, do we want to create something that's harmful or, or healing or something else? And so in thinking about, I love this concept of building worlds in home spaces. Um, especially right now. And I've had to ask myself, like, what decisions, what creative decisions do I need to make to bring the feeling of home and sanctuary into existence? And that's something that I've done before now, but especially now uh, during quarantine, like shifted my spaces a little bit. And, and like, how can it be a place where I feel free and spacious, creative, held and cared for? No, I absolutely love that. And I really love that you're really bringing to light sort of, again, just the intentionality when it comes to design and the way that our lives are built. And it reminds me of this really great quote from this compilation called Software for Artists. And it's just like filled with interviews. I'm gonna read a quote for you that I think really speaks to what you're saying. Um, this is a quote from an interview and the artist um, who's being questioned says, I think it opens the door for someone to understand that something was designed by a person. There's a person who made certain technical and aesthetic decisions for this thing that you're using now. I think it starts to tease out some of the power behind design decisions and some of the potential biases. And um, I think, again, going back to what you said, it all comes down to decision, who has decision-making power. And it seems like when we're really thinking through sort of interventions to using design to create the world that we want to live in, again, whether that's on a micro scale or a macro scale, from our homes to our societies, um, it really is about decision making, really about imagination, like imagining what do we want to bring into existence. And I often think about how um, there's still some power dynamics and differentials when it comes to imagination as well. I feel like, you know, we can have a long conversation a whole other podcast about like white people and how for the longest time they've been able to have free reign when it comes to imagination free reign when it comes to the freedom to just like imagine and wander and wonder um and i feel like so often people of color especially black people um we really haven't been given that much space to imagine and given that much space to really think about like what kind of realities do we actually want to live in? And then once we have that knowledge and we have that clarification, um, how do we actually go about sort of using design thinking, design processes to manifest those things? So I want to know for you, um, 
how do we get to a place just off the top of your head where Black people, Black women, just all of us have more reign to imagine? I think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, just from your senior design and your work, um, I think imagination is so critical to design in this work. So yeah, how do we get to that place where we all have more ability to design, imagine more, more capacity to imagine more? Yeah, I, I love that question. Um, it's what's coming up for me, I immediately think about, I think about rest. I mentioned in, in a conversation with a group of designers, and this has been coming up in other spaces too, is that we can't vision and dream new futures without rest, without sleeping well, right? <laughs> like, um, and, and, and how can, I want the movement to be built with well-rested people and, and, and to not feel like this, like we cannot continue operating from, from that space of urgency, right? That, that, that white, supremacist characteristic in, in culture and needing to lean on on something else for ourselves. Um, and what I've been um, asking now is like how, what are the ways that we can invite imagination um, into our thinking, into our processes? And, and I, I truly do think that that requires us to slow down um, before engaging in any part of the design process, before getting into ideation mode and trying to prototype something and think about strategy, can we take a breath? Can we invite in some somatic practices? Can we invite healers into the space? Can we learn what it would feel like to take a beat and a breath before we try to move into building? And that's been really critical for me. And it's something that is showing up in the work with Black Women Flourish as well. I absolutely love that, the idea of rest being part of the work, being part of the labor. I mean, again, when we think about capitalism, we think about being productive, um, rest is never in the conversation. Um, this is kind of an aside, but how have you been creating more time for rest at home in quarantine during these times? Well, my cat helps with that, to be honest. <laughs> Um, if I were to model my life after my cat, I think that I would be a healthier person. I swear. Um, just the, the taking a nap and the ease and the stretching that I watch her do throughout the day has honestly um, made me consider like what are the, instead of feeling in the open spaces with more work, how can I keep those open spaces on my agenda to be a reminder to go take a walk or to sit on the stoop or to just lay in my bed and like have a sound bath or look out of my window like I'm looking at now and seeing the other spaces and homes in Baltimore behind me right now. And it's hard uh, because I can fall back into the pattern of those same systems that I'm, I'm wanting to resist, but falling back into it because it's so learned um, in, in like now I'm having to unlearn and do something different. And so I mean, I have some practices that I do in my, in my home and I've, I've been doing this for a while and that's making a commitment. Like I have my yoga mat in front of my altar that's in my bedroom. And one of the things that I've decided to agree to is that before I leave my bedroom space and walk out into my office and get into work mode, I have to spend at least five minutes on my mat. And that's either me breathing, that's maybe me doing tarot cards or, you know, pulling up the 
meditation app uh, to to listen to some mindfulness um, offering uh, that that I'm wanting or needing to take in, and that's just like an example of a of a commitment, you know, and something that I've designed for myself. Like this is how I'm designing my day. No, I just again want to give a shout out to your cat. I think um, I believe so much in like biomimicry and just like taking whatever we can from like the more than human world. And um, no, I think cats are excellent teachers and teaching us so much about just like rest and taking it easy and how just like those moments of like microdosing hibernation are so critical to life, so critical to survival. Yes. Um, I want to talk about more and just about you designing your space for your life. What offerings would you have for our lone family when it comes to thinking through how to be intentional with your space and how to make it more of a sanctuary, how to make it um, something that speaks to your day-to-day, your lived experience. Um, I think, again, I love thinking about these things on a micro scale and then like having them bloom out onto the macro scale. And I think if we can all like sort of practice like making our homes a sanctuary and again, using design thinking to really make intentional, creative, imaginative choices, that's going to spill out, I think, and help us really inform, like, you know, how can we be in community with each other? How can we be, um, how can we exist as a collective, as a society? So I want to, yeah, can you walk us more through that? What kind of questions do you ask yourself? What kind of practices do you engage in to make your space an altar, make your space a sanctuary? Yeah, it's, well, one of the things I ask myself is what are my, not just ask myself, but tune into myself as well is, is what are my natural rhythms? And that's how I've had to design my day, the flow of my day. And so I, I no longer operate. Well, I honestly, I haven't operated from like a nine to five uh, schedule and I don't know how long because I've been in entrepreneurship for so long um, and just it, it's not my mode. And so, but I've learned that I'm most in a, a flow or ready to kind of open up my space in the afternoon and later into the night. And so I've blocked in that, that morning time and said, okay, I'm going to dedicate the hours between 9am to 1pm to creating a morning ritual. Like how do I want to ease into the day that's ahead of me? Um, what is ahead of me? Am I having conversations with people? What do I need, need to do to prepare for this conversation? And sometimes, depending on who the person is, maybe I need to do a little more work for the meeting that's ahead. Um, and I need to go and sit outside or like this conversation is going to require me to see some green space or I need a cup of tea or I need to use that tincture or that uh, uh, adaptogenic drop and CBD in my, in my water right now before I move into this. So these are all healing modalities that are integrated into my workflow and they're no longer separate. Um, I used to see them as separate things. It's like, oh, okay, well now it's just time for me to do this healing practice here, but now it's like, what, what, are, the, what are the things that we need to integrate so that we're not operating from um, these like disparate spaces um, and experiences, but they're very much a part of who we are and how we move through the world. 
No, I absolutely love that because I think so often, like the way other spaces outside of our home are built, like we are kind of asked to um, just like compartmentalize ourselves and we really aren't allowed to bring our whole selves to the space. We really have to shape, shift, and adapt to like fit ourselves um, in these spaces. And I'm thinking so much about like, who, like, I think we have so much control over our home spaces to really just make sure they're. Um, embracing all of ourselves and all of who we are and how that's so desperately needed and just like all these other spaces from where we were to where we play to where we eat, where we socialize. Um, so that's like, I'm just having a moment with that. So that's just really resonating with me. Um, and I love that we're sort of diving into all these tools, all these practices. We talked a little bit about the necessity of imagination. And I also want to talk about the necessity of longing. And I've been just like ideating on that and just thinking about that um, via the work of Justine Keita Epstein. And I think in a recent blog on how to intentionally build your home space, we just talked about, you wrote, every day home feels like a sanctuary. What I long for as a child, I've been able to manifest and give life to as a woman. And again, I was just really struck by that because it just really asked me, or made me ask myself, what is the functionality of longing? Um, and how can longing help us give birth to the worlds that we wish to inhabit? So what is the role of longing in your processes of world building and designing and manifesting the futures that we want and that we need? Yeah, that we want and that we need. Um... I I have a close relationship with longing um, and, and not from this place of desperation, but from a, a place of genuine desire. Um, and you pulling that quote in, in talking about my childhood, I remember like sitting in my granny's living room. Her home was a safe space for me. Um, and, and I would go there every weekend and, and throughout the summer. And I was a child going through um, architecture magazines and, and cutting out pictures of spaces um, because I had this longing to create another home for myself. And I did that all the time when I was there. And I thought I was going to get into architecture, but I didn't. It would like, you know, took a little, a little bit of a, a tangent into another world of design. But um, I bring that up because I, I long for a future before I can fully see it, if you know what I mean. Um, it's felt. And I, I think that sensory experience has a, has a lot to do with it. And I think that that feeling is what plants the seed for the beginning of a design process. Like longing becomes its own tool. And right now um, I'm in the design process with Black Women Flourish and our collective team and collaborators. We're about to present um, Flourishing Futures, uh, the first one of this year and bringing in other Black women to um, create a collective manifesto and affirm and declare what it is that we need to be well. And a huge part of that, that I noticed in our planning process to create this space is one of the biggest themes, the overall theme is this longing for a future that we've yet to experience. And that is, that, that type of longing is what creates collaboration. It, it, what, it, it creates us um, gathering together, coming to dream, but also coming to like weld our magic and our brilliance and, and, and longing is 
what carries us along and gets us closer to that future that we're imagining and that we do desire. No, I so deeply resonate with that, especially, you know, we both identify as Black, we both identify as being queer, and I feel like just in the midst of, like, being and inhabiting both those identities, like, longing, I feel like, is such a huge part of, like, the Black experience, is such a huge part of the queer experience because you grow up just with this really innate knowledge that the world that you inhabit that's a manifestation of someone else's longing that never even considered you from the very beginning, from the very conception. Um, so it's almost like our birthright and it's an innate skill that Black queer people like, feel like especially have. It just like we come into this world with just an innate sense of there has to be something more. I do not feel as though this land that I'm walking on, the space that I inhabit, are embracing and holding me. I'm longing for so much more. Um, I don't know, I wonder if you could talk more about that. How has your identity as someone who is Black, is a woman, um, you identify as disabled as well, how has sort of operating at, within all these identities at those intersections sort of informed your work and informed your longings and informed your imaginings. I would love to know more about that, just trying to tie all this together. It, it I mean, it, it honestly, with the longing, I think there's also pain, you know, to be honest. And I, from all of those intersections, blackness, queerness, womanhood, disability, um, there's a real, point of pain that I've had to acknowledge through that in order to to ask myself or even uh, consider that that pleasure or, or some longing for something better could be possible for me. Um, it, it's such a, <laughs> it's so touchy, but also juicy at the same time. Um, and I, I love having these types of conversations and everything that you're asking me is, is timely because they've, they've popped up in conversations with other friends and creators. And one of the things that came up is that it requires a, a level of optimism in the, in the design process of when we're thinking about um, creating these worlds, when we know that everything, these systems and structures that are oppressive don't want to see us well or joyful or healing. And how can we make sure that we're surrounding ourselves with other people and within spaces and creating spaces that hold that sense of possibility of something more um, and also create environments where imagination can, can flourish, where it can be possible. And, and that comes from a place of like, you mentioned like showing up with our whole selves, um, being able to bring um, all the facets of, of who we are, even when those pieces are, are painful. And as my role as kind of this, I'm no expert, but I am a, a facilitator of, of healing um, and can see uh, pathways to how we can get there. And I think I, I too have to show up um, as my whole self. I cry. Um, you know, I laugh, I experience the full emotion of, of what's happening. And, and I want to dream with people too. Um, and, and show that even within all of the things that I'm carrying just as a single person, um, 
they're they're transforming something inside of me and, and also being mirrored and reflected in the work that we create. And I'm so happy that you brought up that. Um, I think with the work that you do, there is sort of this collecting of Black women asking what brings you joy, what brings you pleasure, and how can we create more of that? But also there's also the very real sort of integration of um, what are you grieving over and what's bringing you pain and um, allowing design to sort of alchemize all of that into just these really beautiful, again, interventions. So I just want to thank you for the work that you do, that all your collaborators and partners do, because that alchemy is so needed and it's so special. And I think I just want to sort of wrap all this up we're trying to all this again and um i love the way you described your work in this one quote and it's my purpose on this earth is to embody the audacity to be well and i really love that because i love the idea of being audacious and being bold because i mean again you know we're talking about the black queer disabled experience like it's so much very much so rooted in audacity. And that quote reminds me of another one from Mark Anthony Johnson, which I came by way of, shout to Bronte Velas, and it's black wellness is the antithesis of state violence. So as we're trying to like wrap all this up and bring it together, I don't know for you, what is your work, your design, all of this, bring it all together, what is it the antithesis of? For me, it's it's not just a singular thing. I wish I could say something in two words like state violence, but I can't. Um, I, I, it's it's anything. It's anything in everyone that tries to keep us further and further away from living a flourishing life, whatever that is. And that is the opposite of well-being. It's the opposite of experiencing that whole abundant health where things like pleasure, healing, joy, and care are possible. Um, it's why my attention and practice has shifted to focusing on what can get Black women closer to liberation, closer to pleasure, closer to healing, um, because the antithesis is, is trying very hard uh, to keep us away from experiencing that. <laughs> Again, beautiful, amazing. And that's just sort of reminding me of, um, like for me, when I think of home or any sacred space where I can just like be with other people who share my identities or just share my vision for the world. Um, I just think about how special it is to sort of have that intimacy, to have that sort of um, understanding of, you understand my emotional landscape, my vision for the world, and I understand like all of that that's existing within you. and how special those moments are where you feel like these broader systems and structures aren't um, enclosing on those moments of like beauty and intimacy and joy. Um, but then I also think about how even those moments are still very vulnerable and still very porous to those structures and systems at the same time. So I kind of want to close out with this question and um, it reminds me of a Bell Hooks quote, which, um, and I know your work is very much inspired by Black feminist thought, and Bell Hooks, they have this quote from All About Love, New Visions of Love, um, and in that they say, 
Whether we learn how to love ourselves and others will depend on the presence of a loving environment. Self-love cannot flourish in isolation. And that quote reminds me that spaces and environments, our homes even, are instructive. They teach and provide guidance on how to be. And again, those spaces are still impacted by these broader outside forces and oppressive systems and structures. So just kind of closing off, how do you go about the work of creating spaces that build worlds that one, instruct us on how to center Black women's well-being, while two, being very much mindful um, of the reality that like these oppressive systems and structures um, may come into those worlds. You know, we're building these little moments and bubbles of intimacy and beauty and pleasure and centering Black women's health and all of that. But how do you do that while also considering this very real looming threat of, you know, or threats of white supremacy, patriarchy, misogyny, misogynoir, all these other things um, that threaten these moments. Like even this, you know, is a moment that, um, you know, breaking the fourth wall, recruiting over Zoom and we can have a whole conversation about like technology and surveillance and even this kind of intimacy, it's still very much porous. So how are you holding all of this? Um, I'm holding it by, by being honest that even in creating spaces where we are centering our well-being um, and trying to create spaces that are healing for us, that we, we too are bringing in those oppressive systems and structures because we've learned them. They linger with us and they're like debris. It's debris. And so what I love about the Bell Hooks quote, which All About Love is one of my favorite books ever, um, is that she's naming what needs to be present for flourishing and with a loving, a loving environment um, being one of them. And I absolutely agree. And so I think the work is that how can we design um, flows, spaces, time together in a way that involves us uh, leaning into our whole selves uh, to show up, like making space for Black women to show up fully. And, and that includes the rage, the fear, the anxiety, our sense of imagination and possibility, the seeds that we do have that need to be watered and nurtured in ways that they aren't. Um, joy, hope, and, and all of this without the burden, without the burden of needing to worry about how comfortable or uncomfortable anyone else in that space is, specifically non-Black folks. And because we need that, because that becomes the space and freedom of how we get to new futures that are more liberating and more pleasurable and more joyous and all of those things. And so it's is the presence of, of love, of celebration, of our opportunity to experience truth-telling without boundaries. Um, it's relationship building and healing and creativity. It, it's all of that, our whole selves, all of it that's being met with a soft place to land. Oh, I just hate that my little water sign Scorpio ass is already tearing up over that. Um, no, and you mentioned just the idea of like making ourselves comfortable instead of being hyper aware and hyper vigilant about making other people comfortable. And just going back to one of your earlier quotes about audacity and being audacious, I'm just like, I think for me, that's like the most audacious act, one of, one of the most audacious acts, like just being like, I'm going to center myself and just like, 
and that seems so simple and just so inherent, but just the way that we've been cultivated, um, we really, we really haven't been told that we have the permission to do that. So I thank you for that reminder and that permission. Um, I'm just like spiraling a little bit. I'm like, oh my God, I think all the times where I've really um, decentered myself. And again, how can I make myself comfortable and center that at the root of everything? So thank you for that. Um, so to close things off, I have like a little speed round section for you. Um, I was just like having such a ball going through all the incredible materials you created. And I found sort of like these speed, um, these like really amazing how might we questions. And I was like, I want to do that. So I'm just going to flip the script, turn tables on you. Um, so I have three for you. I'm just going to go through, go through really quickly. So just whatever comes to you at the moment, at the top of your head. Um, so the first one is, how might we find more ways to center pleasure in our daily lives? Ask yourself what would feel good and fulfilling and do that thing. Number two, how might we continue to uplift trust in ourselves and each other in the midst of seismic shifts and collapse? Mm. Move with authenticity and grace. And lastly, how might we remain steadfast in our commitment to designing the worlds we want and need, especially during these times? Be well. Be well. And I think that's just like the calling, the mantra of this entire podcast, like be well, have the courage, boldness, audacity to be well, and just like know that you don't have to be well on your own and go there during your own, but like we have each other, we're in collectives and communities so whew, this yeah. has been medicine thank you so much Denise thank you so much thank you thank you for the thoughtfulness and care just like weave throughout um, all of these questions I, I appreciate it and I'm grateful whew. all right I have gathered myself that was incredible amazing again just like medicine for these times they're just filled with so much melancholy so Denise, you have a last offering to send us off with. Can you tell us more about it? And I'll give you the space to offer it to us. Yes, this is a poem. I'm, I'm calling it a sister poem to a piece by Tasha, who's a writer and songwriter uh, who wrote a piece called Take Care. And I discovered it during our time in quarantine and felt compelled to, to write my, my own response. And, and this is called Be Well. I believe in care now. Believe in cosmic flowers. Portals in my dreams, I believe in black imagination. Believe in our homes as sanctuaries, I believe in sacred pleasure. I believe in rituals on my lips, in sound baths on my skin. I believe in my body. I'm learning how to love my body. And sometimes when the nights are long and my mind is full, I'm afraid that when I wake, I will have forgotten all of the things that I've designed to keep me safe. So I whisper, be well. 
my beloved friends, my family, my community. Through the distance, I need you to be well. Be well. So when we rise and remember that what we have is our creativity as protest and our breath for poetry and liberation on our tongues, we can celebrate each other for the ways we've chosen ourselves, the ways we've tended to our gardens through darkness and nourished our souls with seeds of softness. Be well. Speak it as your prayer and your mantra until it vibrates up and down your chakras. So when we meet again in the next world, because we will, we will have joy in our eyes and possibility on our pillows in the morning. Be well. And then again, that's calling. Thank you so much, Denise. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Loam Listen. Again, I'm your host, Amiria Freeman. This episode was edited by Isaac Silk with music provided also by Isaac Silk. Until next time.